Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to this week's episode. Hey, guess what? Before we get into it, you might have heard, I am drafted to the two Ramagpies as a part of the Carlton Draft. I'm going to be playing a game, dominating, kicking six, and then resetting at quarter time. For the first time in Carlton Draft history, one lucky Victorian women's community club will get the chance to draft the AFLW GOAT, Erin Phillips, to play as a wild card. How bloody good's that? If you want to enter this now to get her down to your football club, visit thecarltondraft.com.au. That's thecarltondraft.com. .au. 18 plus, drink responsibly. KO's got you covered this footy season with every game of every round live and ad break free during play. Wow, in the AFL this week, there are some huge games. Collingwood versus Adelaide, live with no ad break during play, exclusive in Victoria. Giants versus Bulldogs. Oh, I remember that game. I think it was 2016 at Giants Stadium to get the Bulldogs into the grand final. I will never forget that one. Live with no ad breaks free during play. Exclusive in Victoria. And Essendon versus North Melbourne. Jeez, that's the old Ben McKay Cup. Exclusive to Fox Footy. Available on KO. Don't forget those NBA playoffs. They are dominating at the moment. It is just getting bigger and better than ever. Watch every game of both Eastern and Western Conferences finals live with ESPN on KO. There's plenty of room for everyone, no matter what you want to watch. So get on board with KO. Now also available on Hubble. G'day guys. Welcome back to Dylan Friends. This week on the show, four years in the making, Cade Simpson. If you follow footy in any way, you'd have to know the name. Simo's career spanned across multiple generations, having played 342 games over 18 years. He's one of the most beloved players in the AFL for the way he's carrying himself over his tenure. We talk about Simo's road to the AFL and how he endured and reached 342 games, including a streak of 162. The highs and lows of the Carlton Footy Club and sharing his feelings on the departures of six coaches over his career, playing with and against some of the absolute greats, including Anthony Kudafidis and Andrew McLeod, and then modern-day Jets like Sam Walsh and Matt Rowe. As you've heard, Simo's love for the game has not wavered and still wants to be involved as much as possible. Let's watch this space. Very exciting times. Cannot thank Simo enough for coming in. Absolutely love this man, as I'm sure you do too. Let's go. My name is Deborah, Dylan's mum. Welcome to the Dylan Friends Podcast. Many ways, I've been waiting my whole life for this moment. Tears. Tears. Strength. I'm like, I run. She's like, yeah. everyone runs. I'm like, but does everyone go to Man. the Olympics? <laughs> They're sitting there meditating, going, oh my God, I think I'm meditating. How good is this? I'm meditating. It's like, <laughs> I had a Wu Tang call. I was like, yo, Dylan, thanks for getting us in. Just love it's it. knuckle puck time. Yeah. It's like, it's like <laughs> Don't forget to subscribe and leave a review. Wow. Wow. I don't know what to say. <laughs> I'm excited, Simo. I'm I'm excited. I'm nervous. I've got. I've, I just had a heat flush come through me. This is an exciting day for me. Having one of my biggest heroes, mentors, friends, heroes again to come into the studio. This is honestly. I say this a lot when it comes in, but it's taken probably four years to get this happening, and it's exciting time. So, Kate Simpson, welcome to the Dylan Friends Podcast, with my friend. Thanks for having me, Dill. Um, yeah, I'm actually really nervous as well, mate. I actually don't know what we're going to talk about. So no. I'm, uh, yeah, I'm, as you said, hot flushes. I've just got that I'm like sweating already. I, I think it's just a friendship. Mate, what we say here never leaves the podcast besides everyone that listens to it. So don't stress about that. So, mate, it's uh, it's, it's an honor to have you in. I'm very excited. Um, as you said, you're, you're a bit of a recluse. You, you are one of the, you know, games greats players. You're the nearly – are you the games record holder at Colton? 
No, no. No. Yeah. Okay. We're not happy about that. We'll get into that later. Um, but yeah, mate, you, you're honestly a superstar of the game and, and no one has had the one-on-one chance with, with Cade Sims. And so Dylan Buckley sitting down today, it's big for me. Hopefully it's big for you. And um, I'm excited to get into it. Let's go. Okay. Well, first thing I want to bring up, and I know you listen to the show, so you love it. I like to talk about first impressions of how we first met. And I feel like they're going to be very different because, as I said, uh, one of my favorite players to play the game, one of my favorite teammates um, that I've had the fortune of playing with. But it wasn't always like this. It wasn't always Simo and Dill, best mates, chatting here, there and everywhere. There was the first two years of my career where we sat next to each other and you would not speak to me for two years. Um, oh, I'm naturally a shy person. Um Sort of, yeah, shy away from the limelight, shy away from unsuspecting characters <laughs> like yourself. <laughs> um, yeah, no, I was probably just feeling you out a little bit, um, but you, you're you probably total opposite to me. You're not shy at all. So you got straight in there. Um, yeah, I think you probably tried to knock out the wall between us so we could I share lockers. I thought that we were going to start sharing lockers together. I was looking at subdividing our block. <laughs> I was always looking at expansion. I know we're both big into property. So, no, I did, mate. And, and I think that anyone that's had the pleasure of playing with you and, and knowing you, I think the the beauty of that and, and anyone that knows you would say this is when you're mates with Simo, you know you're mates with Simo because it takes a long time to break down those walls. And I did take that. I did break down those walls. It took a long time. And today, hopefully, mate, we can give a bit of insight into who you are because, as I said, you are a private man and, and that's that's awesome. It's actually one of the things that I love about you, that you are so private and you are so unassuming. You just go about your business. 346 AFL games. 42. <laughs> Fucking how's he start today? 342 <laughs> AFL games. And uh, and and yeah, you, you know, not many people know a lot about you. So hopefully, we, today we can we can um, uncover a few of those things. There's one thing that I really want to just get to off the top of the bat, and it's one thing that I've held close to my chest for a long time, and I want to get your opinion on it. In 2014, we were rooming together in Arizona. <laughs> Do you remember this? Uh- I think so. We, we were rooming together. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, you and actually I. I do. Yeah. We'll do. Yeah. And you and I are both quite competitive wrestling. We, we used to like wrestling. <laughs> we used to like wrestling yeah, each yeah. other. Yeah. You know, as people do, you yeah. like to wrestle. And there was a day there where we had a wrestle. And I think this story sums you up. So I, I wanted to tell it. And we were wrestling and it got pretty heated. We, we were really wrestling. And I was beating you. <laughs> I was actually beating you. And I fully had you and it got to the stage where you were so angry, you were so determined and you had so much grit that I was like, I've just got to let this bloke win because he's going to kill me if I don't let him win. And I think in a way that sums up you. You are just this, the most hardworking, unassuming dog to the, like you are just this, oh, geez, you're a competitive beast. And I just wanted to, to, to set that story. Do you remember that? I didn't until you brought it back. <laughs> I do remember wrestling in the snow quite often over there. Um, yeah, which was probably fun at the time. And yeah, I don't, I don't know. I have been told I'm a competitive a lot, but a lot of the time I'm, I don't really like competing against mates, but I hate losing as well, yes. which probably not great for my career. Um, there's <laughs> plenty of losses there, but yeah, it just really, yeah, really shoot me. Yeah, it did that day. You are a very competitive man, which we will get into. Mate, take us back. Young um, Cade Simpson growing up in Emerald. Uh, for all those who don't know, Emerald is in the eastern suburbs of, of Victoria, famous for the Puffing Billy, which is something that 
you would say at every single <laughs> clinic that we went to. So I know it for a fact. Um, what was childhood like growing up for you, mate? Um, out in the eastern suburbs, young man playing footy and, and riding the Buffalo Village. Uh, yeah, it was um, a great place to grow up. Um, just sort of quite bushy, classed as metropolitan, but yeah, it was quite sort of country, sort of small town. Um, yeah, grew up, lived uh, not far from the footy ground, so yeah, footy was was a big part of my life. Um, yeah, but yeah, I don't know. Work, walked home from school, um, didn't catch puffing Billy, but walked, <laughs> walked along the train lines um, to get home. Um, but yeah, it was just a great place to grow up. Only about an hour from the city as well, so. And the Emerald Bombers were the, the home team? They were. Now, I am. I hope I'm not being rude when I say this, but a young Cade Simpson playing for the Emerald Bombers at a young kid, could you fast forward to think that you would have played 342 AFL games of footy? Uh, no, definitely not. Um, and probably I was probably a late bloomer a little bit. Like I was a good local footballer, um, like always one of the best in the team. But once I sort of got to sort of 14, 15, when all those rep sides were starting, I – was never in there um and so once i was sort of 16 17 i'd, I'd almost put a line through the, the dream of playing afl and then just lucky enough uh bottom age 18s i think eastern rangers were going pretty pretty shit out so they started recruiting for the next year and um i ended up getting getting a training spot and going down there at the back end of the year as a 17 year old um and because they were going so bad they started to almost play some young guys just to plan for next year and um yeah played a couple of handful of games at the end of the year and then the whole next year um yeah played all then represented victoria and all australian and all some was drafted so within sort of 15 months um went from kicking the footy around with some local mates um to yeah on carlton's list it's hectic man do you think and I, i'm not putting words in your mouth here this is just a question because it, re- it reminds me of another one of my mates that was like this but do you think sometimes the development of not getting in those teams early was because of how quiet you were. Like, do you reckon that had something to play with it? Yeah, I reckon. Um, I was pretty pretty thin as well, um, quite small. But yeah, I was obviously shy as well. So I'd never, I wouldn't speak up in meetings or um, yeah, if someone else wanted to play on ball, I'd be like, oh yeah, no worries. I'll go sit in the forward pocket or. or well, that's whatever. really funny because I know for a fact that you weren't like that in AFL <laughs> system when I got there. Yeah, it's it's strange. Um, I suppose a bit of confidence and um, yeah, I, I just I was almost changed when I got out onto the footy field once AFL sort of started. That yeah, that that competitive person came out and um, if talking or yeah, that sort of stuff was going to help me to win or help the team to win, I'd, I'd do it. So, um, but yeah, off the field, totally different. Mm, mm. It's it is it is crazy because I think as as we'd say, like a lot of people might not have heard you. Talk in depth before about yourself, and I know you hate talking about yourself and pumping yourself up, but I'll be doing the majority of that today. But it is so true, you know, off off field, you are quite a quiet guy. Once you get to know you, it's not like you don't, you, you actually are in the change rooms, you're actually quite funny sometimes, um, sometimes. But once you get on field, you do change. Your demeanor changes. Um, you're obviously vice captain of the Carlton Vex many years. And I feel like, I hope that. Carlton supporters, well, Carlton supporters would definitely agree with me about this, but I think in all sums of footy, you judge people on premierships, obviously, that's one thing. But I think the the second biggest thing you judge people on is when they stand up in big games. And that always seemed to be something that you did. Was that something that was like a young, you did as a young player or was that something you grew into later on? Um, oh, probably through juniors. I've played in a few grand finals and played pretty well. Um, 
But yeah, I don't know. I think that's just the, when the game is on the line or it is a big game, that's just the com- competitiveness takes over again and goes up another level. Um, you you want to lift and you, you do everything you can for the team to win. So um, sometimes you probably go out of your way, which is to the detriment, but other times, yeah, it might come off and uh, you look a, bit, a little bit better. Mm. No, mate, you definitely did. We'll get into that a bit, later, uh, a bit more later on. Talk us through uh, getting to the Blues. So you get there as a young man. Obviously, uh, you're quite smaller than a lot of guys. Um, it's, it's well reported your first three games were, were three games of zero touches, which is which is impressive in itself. Do you count them? For the, is it <laughs> no. is that why? So it was 346, but you count you taking them <laughs> off? <or? laughs> no, well, I don't know. Like it's going back now. I've played so many that yeah, I'd probably say 339. It's probably um, a better number to go <laughs> no. Maybe once I got to 303, I'm like, yes, I've actually played 300. Yeah, <laughs> yeah fair. Um, first getting the Blues, what was it like walking in the doors then? So Shane O'Sullivan drafted you? Yeah, Shane was the recruiting manager. Um, it was the year Carlton lost their picks one and two. So and that was Brendan Goddard? Yeah, Goddard and Daniel Wells. And I reckon they might have lost pick 20-something as well. Um, so I was their first pick for the, for the um, draft at 45. Um, yeah, first, I still remember the first day actually getting to the club. Like, there was a pin code to get in, and I didn't want to be late. So, I ended up being about an hour and a half, two hours early, um, and couldn't get into the club. And then the first person that rocked up was Brett Ratton, the captain. Um, so he sort of, and then eventually got locker number six between the captain and the vice captain, Andrew McCarthy. Wow. <laughs> so I was, um, yeah, it was a pretty daunting start. Just a skinny little kid. I just sort of sat there quietly, made sure, unlike yourself, I made sure my bag was tight <laughs> and didn't sort of spread over into their locker areas. Um, yeah, so, yeah, but amazing when you walk into the club and you see these guys that you just watched on TV like Camparelli and Kutafides and, as I said, Ratten and McKay. Um, and then and Dennis Pagan as a coach, a guy who – one of the greatest coaches of all time, had just got to the club as well. So, um, yeah, a lot exciting um, to get there as well. But, yeah, really nervous too. Who were some of the guys – like saying those names then, it sounds surreal because they're like some absolute superstars there. Was Who were some of the guys that really took you under the wing or the guys that you just looked at being like, shit, you know? Like for me, when I first got to Carlton – it was incredible, like, and I'm not just saying this to pump you up, but as a kid, you know, I walked in supporting the Blues. I walk in, I'm in a locker next to you. I'm, I'm near Chris Judd, Matty Cruiser, for some reason, and for good reason, because he was an absolute superstar. I was in awe of Jared Waite as a kid. I just love Watt. And then when I met him, I was like, you're not what I thought you were going to be, Watt, but I still love you. Well, who were some of those guys that I suppose you really idolised looking at? And then who were the guys that actually took you under their wing and probably helped you out in the first couple of years? I probably looked at guys who were similar that I thought were similar players or maybe a player that I wanted to sort of try and emulate. Um, so Scott Camparelli um, was a big one, Matty Lappin, so a couple of the sort of skinner, skinnier guys. Um, and whether they took me under their wing, I'm not too sure, but I really just watched closely what they did and, and sort of compared myself to them, whether it was in time trials or um, that sort of stuff. Um and then as as I got so probably a little bit older, even guys coming in like Andrew Walker, um, ultimate professional, I always – and this probably goes back to the competitive stuff as well. I'd sort of compete with those sort of guys Come when you come back from off-season with your skin folds and time trials and all that sort of stuff, but I wouldn't tell them that I was competing. Yeah. With them. 
Which would give you more chance of winning, of yeah. course. But um, you always be checking up on uh, what their skin folds would be and every time I'd be running over the break or whatever, I'd be like trying to make sure I'm doing actually more than every other guy on the list. Um, just because I'd be in my head, I'd be like, oh, I've got to make sure I run a better time than him or have lower skin folds than that person coming it's, back. It's actually funny because I remember, um, and, and this is just a, a memory sticking out, like obviously I was very annoying to you, not just as annoying, but I would always try and emulate you and do everything you did. And I remember one year I was like, yeah, I'm training with Simo every time you train. So I'd come and train with you, but then there'd be days where I was there and you were already there training without me. So like, I was like, what the fuck is this guy? Like we're meant to be training together, but you were always doing more and you like, wouldn't tell me. So now, you know, obviously I knew what was going on. It made sense. But how severe was that for you? Like that mindset, we talk about those mind games and it's something that I probably didn't pick up enough on when I played footy, but I try and do it now in other um, in other forms of life. How serious was that for you? Like how obsessive did it get? Because I can really remember some things. Yeah, it, um, and probably as I got older, I thought that I needed to do like more because I was aging and um, – so probably from 28 onwards, maybe, like I would compete. So every time it was an off-season, I would compete against the previous off-season. So if I did a shitload of running the previous off-season, I'd be like, fuck, I've got to do more running than that next time. And then after a few years, you get to a stage where you're like, I actually can't do more running. So then you'd go to diet. All right, I've got to make sure my diet's better than the previous year. And if once you do five, six years in a row of doing that, it's almost like, fuck, I actually can't, can't cram get any anymore in. So you end up with multiple pre-seasons and we haven't missed a session or you're coming back like in PB form for day one of pre-season um, or starting training as soon as the season finishes almost just to try and get those couple extra sessions under your belt to make sure you do more than the previous year. Um, so that was pretty full on and um, it was tiring at the time but um, I sort of enjoyed doing it and the older I got, I knew that I needed to do it to stay in the game and to – be able to perform at the level that I wanted to. Um, but, yeah, it's. I probably wish I started doing it a bit earlier, to be honest. Yeah, that's so – it's so strange to hear that because it's, it's I, I think looking at players that I've, you know, played with and had the benefit of playing with and I think that knowing this was the way that you were thinking now, you look at most guys that were in your boat, like you would always come back to training early, as you said. A lot of guys, the older they get, the less they try and do in terms of, you know, keeping themselves right, you actually went the complete opposite and were like, no, I've got to do what these young guys are doing and stay with them. Yeah, I, um, it was funny because I actually I heard, um, I think it was Lee Montagna talking as he was sort of around that 30-year-old 30, 30 mark and he was talking, I think it was about Boomer Harvey and and Boomer was like, no, I train every session and it just sort of it just clicked with me that the more you can do in the off-season or pre-season or whatever, that the better off you'll be. Um, during the year and just help your recovery. Um, yeah, so I, as I got older, yeah, I just trained more and I think it really helped performance but also longevity And because it just wasn't a, it wasn't a big jump in increased loads for from off-season to pre-season because I'd already been smashing myself over the off-season that pre-season was like, oh, I'm just doing what I was already doing. So you didn't get those sore after a big jump in volume or whatever. You weren't pulling up sore from it and you could just keep churning out the Ks. It's great. You, like you were the most durable player in the AFL. Played 158 games in a row. Rarely missed pre-season, rarely missed sessions. Do you think that a lot of players have it wrong in terms of, you know, like 
missing these sessions trying to keep fresh is it actually in your opinion is it about that continuity and getting your body right because i feel even in my i look back now and i thought oh i'm getting a bit older now i'll try and do what these guys do and take it easy and i was i was just always injured and, and i think if i if i had just been more consistent and just try to stay in the same routine your body just gets used to it yeah i reckon that's spot on and i was probably the same at sort of 27 28 it would be like i'd play and recover all week, barely getting back out on the track um, and then play again. And it just was a, a cycle. And until I heard sort of Lee Montagna talk about Boomer Harvey, who mm. game's record holder, and I was just like, that just sort of made so much sense that you just need to do do more almost so that game day is just easier. And then rolling out after game day. And, and I did a lot of recovery as well as I got older just to make sure I was right to train as well. So all the ice bars and Pilates and stretching and – just, just getting moving after games, whether it was walking the dog or um, going into the club on the day off to do ices and um, maybe more Pilates, that sort of stuff. But, yeah, I reckon if you can do more and force yourself to get out and go for a run after, especially after games, just to get moving rather than just sitting sitting down knowing I'm going to be sore for the next few days, um, yeah, movement's key, I reckon. I think someone that has a similar mindset to that and it'd be good to get your opinion on this is he's Scotland. So he was probably the most banged up bloke like I've ever seen. Like he, I, I feel like he had a broken ankle for the last two years of his career, but he just ran through it. And we do these um, tempo runs on a mon- on a Monday morning every Monday. Say the games on Saturday, you'd have Sunday recovery. Monday, you'd be doing these tempo runs, and the tempos in the word tempo, like it's meant to be a tempo pace up and back. He Scotland would race. Every- <laughs> he would not let anyone beat him in it, and he was the oldest bloke. Was he older than the oldest bloke? He would have been the yeah. oldest bloke at that stage um, on the list. Who were some of the guys like Heath, like Walks, um, that you really admired for the way they trained and, and competed with without them even knowing that you know, they were competing with you? Yeah. Uh, the funny thing about Scotto as well, whenever you'd know when he's had a, a big night out yeah. because he would absolutely flog the shit out of himself yeah. on the track. So if he if we played Saturday and he we had Sunday off and he'd been on the – on the piss <laughs> all weekend, that Monday morning, he would absolutely flog the shit out of himself. And he'd, he'd be, like, like be running in jumpers, beanies, <laughs> everything. Yeah. So, um, yeah, when you did see him flogging himself, you're like, fuck, Scott, has been on. Yeah. <laughs> He's had a big weekend. <laughs> uh, um, those guys, are who else sort of comes to uh, mind in terms of work rate that you loved? Yeah, um, probably oh, there's, there's a few. Like Andy Carazzo was an amazing trainer. Um yeah, walks was walks was a big one. Um, I'm trying to think, I played with so many guys. Like even like Ed Kerno, but I wasn't on his level as a runner. Um, but yeah, I always found as well. Like if you could just hang on to the best runners, so if, say the best five runners at the club. If you just always put yourself in that group, and even if you're at the back of that group, you're probably at the front of every other group. Um, so I'd always try and run with the best runners. So the last few years. Um, Ed Kerno, Sammy Walsh coming in, um, all those sort of guys, Charlie Kerno, Marchbank, those sort of guys. Um, but yeah, I think like anyone who was who was lean or had a really elite diet, um, elite trainer, I'd try and latch on to or compare GPS numbers at the end of, end of sessions and stuff. Sammy Doherty is probably a big one as well, probably the last five years actually. Uh, well, he's obviously missed a couple, but we would do everything together, whether it was running, um, training, but all our running sessions and stuff at, 
around training were together and probably pushed each other, which made each other better. Mm. Um, especially as I was getting older, trying to keep up with him and and um, do everything that he was doing um, probably made him be a better player as well. Yeah, 100%, man. What about um, Chris Judd? What, what would you say about Judd, man, that you sort of learned anything from him? Yeah, just his, oh, his preparation, like the amount of injuries he had, but like the way he knew his body, um, Pilates was a big one of his. Funny thing, Judd, man, he, I, I think he actually needled, like on, I think you spoke to him about yeah. needling himself. He needled me in Arizona because <laughs> I think one of the physios went home. So we were, we were down, a, down a physiotherapist. Um, so <laughs> the Judd man was, was needling, I think, yeah, it was glutes or ITB or something. But, yeah, so, so his professionalism, his diet, all that sort of stuff. Um, and when he was training, he, he trained bloody hard as well. So... Um, and that's the thing. I probably didn't ask him too many questions about it, but definitely took notice of the way he went about it. Um, and I actually really liked the way he's a bit of an out there thinker, like mm. the way he looked at the way he looks at life, but the way he looked at the game and stuff. It just wasn't it's sort of outside the box. Um, his ideas, his and, and he was always probably looking for different ways to get better as well, which is why he probably sort of thought outside the box. Yeah, he definitely did. Definitely. When did the penny drop for you though to get? to this stage like you said earlier your first few years it probably wasn't there was there like a moment that you thought fuck I've actually got to start like developing these skills like was there a specific moment that happened in your career um I'm not too sure like once I'd sort of established myself as a player yeah I I don't really remember back that I did heaps of sessions or sort of just did what the program was prescribed and um that was probably enough to just get me through and 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 play okay footy um but i think like football is just so competitive now and like everyone does the program and probably a little bit more so i think i wanted success more than anything um and i was always optimistic that it wasn't too far away but um it was probably a mile away. Um, but, yeah, I just always wanted to give myself the best chance mm. at having that. And um, so, yeah, I reckon maybe the last last decade of my career, maybe like 25, 26, so that's when I just sort of, sort of thought that the program will only get you so far. And and I think everyone probably does a little bit more than the program. So it was sort of like you got to do the program a little bit more and then stuff away from um, – away from the club as well and there was a little saying that probably hit home was um not what you do from nine to five but from five to nine Mm -hmm. um so that was sort of a big one so yeah the the other stuff like the diet and stuff what you're doing at home or recovery and stuff um yeah i think maybe yeah 27 28 probably the time i really clicked the one thing that you know i've spoken about this a lot on on the podcast and especially to other people is is something that I really learned from you and as you said earlier about outside thinking and not just conforming to what coaches say or strength and conditioning people say was the fact of, of putting on weight and it was something that we would always speak about and you know I probably listened too much about trying to get too heavy and get big and not realizing it actually wasn't good for my body because I couldn't carry that weight and it wasn't good for me I just break down something you always did and you stayed true to you, you know you really believed in yourself and you knew that you didn't have to be the biggest bloke. You didn't have to be the strongest bloke, but it was all about just how you felt. 
Was there stages when you actually didn't know that and you just had to work it out by yourself? Like, you know, I need to just feel comfortable myself and I'm happy to just be this weight because, you know, a lot of players still, they, you know, Cripper even said last year, he thought, oh, I have to put on weight, I have to do this, but it's more just about, you know, working out your exact weights. Yeah, I think so. And and I think my second or third preseason, I got to, I think it was, I was wrapped that I'd hit like 81 kilos mm. in, in an off, se- off season. Um, I was probably a bit, I don't know. I it was eighty one kilos. A lot of it was probably fat, but yeah. I was, yeah, I was so pumped. And then it was the worst preseason of my life. I just remember Tony Liberatore was one of the assistant coaches, and him just running up these hills, and him with his hand on my back, just pushing me up, <laughs> <laughs> pushing me up this hill. And I was just like, "This is fucked." I hate. Like I just couldn't move. Like mm. my time trials were horrible. Um, but that was that was sort of how the game was played. It was a contested game, and um, a lot of the coaching was probably still a bit old school in like you need to be big, you need to be strong, you need to be powerful. Um, and then probably the game just evolved to suit me better that mm. you needed to be able to run, you needed to be um, – and as soon as I sort of established myself, I think you just find ways to compete at whatever size you are and it's probably the good thing about AFL football is that it's for all, all shapes and sizes and so you can always sort of find someone – um, small and skinny to uh, match up on. Going back 300 uh, odd games, a lot of games, a lot of games to remember. Talk us through some of your favourite wins and favourite moments playing with the Blues. What what really stands out? Is there any games? Like obviously I think your 300s was a massive one, very emotional game. Um, that was that was awesome that, that we, we could get up for that one. What else sort of stands out in the career? There was, wasn't many finals, but um, the Two finals win, I think. One was against Essendon, 88,000 or something there. Um, was a good one in 2011, I reckon. Yeah. Um, and then the, the final against Richmond, 94,000, like probably 75,000 of them were Tiger supporters. Um, but I still remember that roar when Richmond ran out. We were already out in the ground um, and that was, that was deafening, um, them coming out. Um, so those two sort of wins where we, especially the Richmond one, weren't really tipped to win and, and got over the line. Um, yeah, the 250th was, I think, the one you were talking about where it was Port Adelaide. Port Adelaide, yeah. yeah so that was, a, um, that was a pretty special win. And, and the milestone itself, like I was I've, I was almost sick going into that game. I, was like, I just hated all the build-up and hated the media and everything about it was just like, oh, I fucking just want this to be over with. Yeah. Um, <laughs> And then, and that's what probably my mindset. I made sure I changed my mindset when I got to the three hundred. I was like, no, I'm just gonna whatever they say. Yep, just embrace it. Say yes to whatever. Um, try and enjoy the week. And I felt so much better going into that game. Um, but yeah, the two fiftieth was like two goals down with a couple of minutes to go, and to fall over the line. Um, yeah, it was sort of a bit of relief, but also just the build up of the week and stuff just probably made the in my own head made the game bigger than it was. I suppose it, it when it's you know you were one of only X amount of players to be able to do that. So the club's always going to build up those big occasions. And knowing you personally, I can I can always remember not being there at the time for the three hundred, but just knowing how much you really would have hated that. <laughs> yeah, it was. Um, yeah, I feel sorry for our media people who <laughs> running through that and trying to get me to do stuff. And yeah, I, but I, I reckon I was better for my three hundredth one. I 
was tried to say yes to a lot of things and um, knew it was going to be a big deal and not just for myself but for the club and um, my family and stuff as well. So, yeah, tried to buy into it as much as I could and, yeah, I may, I've definitely felt better going into the game that it wasn't such a burden. Um, yeah, unfortunately didn't get the result but, yeah, I found a fair bit of the footy that day so it's not too bad. Hello, my beautiful friends and family. Guess what? I am back. I am back. Third time lucky. My third time drafted in my life. I'll be making a return to footy as a part of the Carlton Draft, along with some big household names. Not as big as my name, but uh, some quite big names. Isaac Smith, Trent Cotchin, Matty Lloyd, Lee Montagna. Some of the all-time greats of our game, as I've just mentioned. One lucky Victorian women's community club will get the chance to draft the AFLW GOAT Aaron Phillips to play as a wildcard. How bloody good is that? If you're a part of women's community footy and you are keen to get Aaron down, enter now at thecarltondraft.com.au. That's thecarltondraft.com.au. 18 plus, drink responsibly. KO's got you covered this footy season with every game of every round live and ad break free drink play. Wow, in the AFL this week, there are some huge games. Collingwood versus Adelaide, live with no ad break string play, exclusive in Victoria. Giants versus Bulldogs. Oh, I remember that game. I think it was 2016 at Giants Stadium to get the Bulldogs into the grand final. I will never forget that one. Live with no ad breaks free during play. Exclusive in Victoria. And Essendon versus North Melbourne. Geez, that's the old Ben McKay Cup. Exclusive to Fox Footy, available on KO. Don't forget those NBA playoffs. They are dominating at the moment. It is just getting bigger and better than ever. Watch every game of both Eastern and Western Conference's finals live with ESPN on KO. There's plenty of room for everyone, no matter what you want to watch. So get on board with KO, now also available on Hubble. Did, you did, you did, my friend. Uh, What's... I suppose other things, looking back besides um, Carlton games, you played a lot of international rules footy. Playing for Australia, pulling on the Australian goods, you must be special. I think two, 2006, you actually won the best on, is that the Jim Steins? Yeah, Jim Steins. Uh, that was 2008, I reckon. Yeah. Okay. You won that? Yep. Yeah. How special was that? Yeah, well, I think in 2006, I reckon I was 20, I was 22, 23 maybe. Um and toured Ireland, but it, like Kevin Sheedy was the coach. I'd only played maybe 40, 40 games of AFL. How'd you get, how do they work those squads? Like, so that, I reckon that might have been the first year they'd done it where, so it used to be the All Australian, you had to be an All Australian member to play. And then I think Ireland kept winning. So then Australia goes, oh, fuck it, we're going to pick the best side to suit the game. Mm-hmm. Um, so being quite a quick game and stuff. Uh, I'd sort of established myself as a bit of a running running player in the AFL. So, yeah, got the call up late and it was unbelievable. Like There was guys, Dustin Fletcher, Michael Voss, um, as I said, Sheedy was a coach. Jim Steins was actually one of the coaches as well. Um, so to spend the weekend, uh, like a couple of weeks in Ireland with him, one, um, and other legends of the game was pretty special. Um, and then I th- you sort of make a lot of friends as well um, from other clubs. Like that's why I've, I did it four times because I just loved a couple of weeks mm. hanging out with guys that you compete against. You actually sort of – and then you see them and play them later in, in life um, out, in, out in the G and after the game you catch up and you still talk about going to Ireland six years ago like it was something that I loved doing. So anytime I got the chance to, I'd um, – so I did two in Australia and two over in Ireland, which was um, yeah amazing. 
One thing that keeps jumping out today is when you say names of players that you've played with, like <laughs> Michael Voss, these guys, like, I just keep forgetting like how many years you actually played for. Yeah. Talk us through some of these. Who were some of the players that were like really at the back end of their career when you started? And then obviously like probably the last year was Sam Walsh. So just to show like yeah. who some of these guys are that people wouldn't be really surprised that you actually played with. Like you would play with Fev. Yeah, so Fev, Kuda. <laughs> you played with Kuda. Yeah, a couple of years ago. Did you play with um, Brattles? <laughs> <laughs> Did you play with Brattles? No, nah, I think I missed Brattles by a year. Probably could. I, I remember him coming back as like a assistant coach or just helped out coaching when Rats was coach and he was just well, the whole preseason be out the front of all the running. <laughs> um, guys that I played against, so like some of like greats, like Buckley, Hood, Voss, um, Rusciuto, uh, Andrew McLeod. Yeah, I remember. Did. I remember trying to tag Andrew McLeod. He was playing at halfback one day, and I had to try and tag him, and oh, it was a nightmare. Like he's just no respect <laughs> to me. <laughs> and any time, like I felt like I was in a good spot, he would then just, just be around the back, yeah. getting an uncontested handball or something. And I was just like, "This is fucking nightmare." Um, my heart skipped a beat before when you said Craig Bradley. <laughs> now, do you remember what happened? <laughs> I've never told this story before. I don't even know if have I you should. Still worked it. Have you worked it out yet? It's Kate, I've got to tell the story. It it is seriously one. It still keeps me up at night, and I still do not know to this day what has happened in this situation. So to, to tell the story straight, we just played. I think we played round one, and we'd come in the next day for a recovery session. And I'm sitting next to my locker, and I'm sitting with you, and I've got like six missed calls from this number. And I was like, Simo, have you got this number? <laughs> like not thinking you'd actually have it. You had it and it came up, Craig Bradley. I was like, fuck, like what's what's going on here? Don't, this is not funny. This is not funny. <laughs> no, it's not. It's not funny. And someone, anyway, I called back Bradles. He said, mate, I'm at the university <laughs> cafe. Um, you said that we're going to come meet for a coffee. And I was like, um, Bradles, mate, I just got off the training track. I have... Like, I'm not too sure what happened to you. Are you sure you got the, the right person? Like, you know, I didn't I didn't call you. <laughs> and he said, mate, this is, you know, Craig Bradley. Like, you called me last night. You said you want to catch up for a coffee. I've taken the day off work. I'm here waiting for you. <laughs> and I was, like, rattled. At this stage, I'm on the phone in the change rooms. All, everyone's around me, like, going, what the hell is going on? Because they've got wind that Craig Bradley's on the phone and I'm sitting in the change rooms trying to say that, look, I didn't call, but we're here to go. Long story short... Someone has pranked Craig Bradley, said it's me, and that I want to meet them tomorrow for a coffee at a, a place. I still feel sick and so bad about this that he's actually gone there. I'm still at training. I went into the team meeting. I'm with him the whole time. I'm rattled. I thought it was him. Someone was playing a joke on me. Someone had called him. As I said, I got called into a meeting with the coach, Shane O'Sullivan, Stephen Silvani, and they're questioning me on why I would prank the club's greatest player and do this to everyone. I was like, I did not do this. Even my dad got called. Like Everyone was got called. They're like, mate, what is wrong with you? This is not funny. So still to this day, I don't know who did that. I'd, I'd forgotten about it until you brought it up. But, yeah, I was – that's a funny one. I don't know why they'd. <laughs> I think so. Like I don't know even if one of the boys would have done this because even if they did, it obviously went too far because it like it's a, it's a yeah, it's a massive call. But surely there's just some sort of miscommunication somewhere. Maybe someone's asked him. Is there any other Buckleys out there? That- no, because it's no. Like I've I've rattled this on my brain cage for a long time, <laughs> and I still can't work it out. But. I just felt so bad. But I just remember going up to, you know, Sauce and then being like, mate, 
why would you do that? And I was like, I didn't fucking do this. Like, I haven't, I wouldn't do it. Why would I book a chat in when I got training on? Like, I'm not that stupid. They thought that like I'd stuffed up the dates and just denied it. <laughs> anyway, shout out to whoever that was because um, you stitched us all up a beauty and it was one of the most embarrassing things that's ever happened to me before. So I appreciate it. Sim, early in the career, there's an infamous story about a car getting stolen. <laughs> what, what is this? I, I actually don't know this one. Yeah, so I think it was my first year. Um, so I'm pretty sure we had a club golf day, um, and I stayed at I stayed at home my first year and a bit. I think um, so. I'd always so I drive. I think I drove to the club. Good mate Brad Fisher, as well. There's no point both of us driving to the other side of fucking Victoria for petrol. a golf golf day. So I left my car at the club, jumped in with him. After the golf day, we're heading back to, <laughs> heading back to the club. To pick up my car, and all we must have been oh, around Keelor or something like that, and this car starts coming towards us. I'm like, oh, he comes a it was a VL Commodore, and I was like, oh, Simo Six, <laughs> <laughs> number plate Simo Six, oh, true or false? Oh, Simo yeah. Six was the number plate. Yeah, that's, <laughs> oh, that's bad. That's so bad. I didn't know this. So I, the, the car I bought off my brother, um, and he had. I think he had Simo 30, oh, Simo something like that. Yeah. Um, yeah, fuck me. I don't know what the fuck. <laughs> <laughs> Simo oh, 6. Unheard of, isn't it? Anyway, oh, it's been shit. It's been so Fuck. Um, yeah, so anyway, coming, coming. They're just coming towards us. I'm like, fucking, this looks like mine. And then fucking there it goes, straight past. I'm like, fucking my car. <laughs> so anyway, you bolt start following them um, on the phone to the cops. I reckon we followed them for – so we were like pretty much tailing them. We weren't like chasing them or yeah, anything. Yeah, just to follow where they just, go. Yeah. Just um, tailgating them and just, uh, yeah, on the phone to the cops, just directing them, telling them where we are, what's happened, blah, 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 blah. Stayed on the line for probably 20, 30 minutes um, and then all of a sudden just these cop cars just fucking come from nowhere <laughs> and the operator that I was on the phone to were like, oh, just pull over, stop. There are and like as the sirens were going, the my car's like sped off and full. Oh, they chase it. Full chase everything over medium strips, everything. Um, but we, yeah, we got told to stop, so we didn't pursue that. Um, I think they ended up getting away. They just ditched the car somewhere, and but yeah, then like when I remember picking up the car like a couple of weeks later. And they're like, yeah, we rode off, rode off a cop car ch- chasing it. So it was like a full, <laughs> full, on. full cop chase. What, what were the people doing? What did they uh, catch them or no? No, I don't think so. They're just, um, yeah, Simo Six fans. Simo, it must have been. It must have the number plate. <laughs> actually, when I sold it, I actually sold it with the number plate. I can't believe that the amount of slack that you used to give Nick Graham, poor Nicky <laughs> Graham, when he rocked up to the club. Nick Graham used to have a car called Nicky Five, and. I don't think I would have got into him. Maybe you were real quiet about I it. Probably was real yeah. sheepish, I reckon. Because fuck, that's like just yeah, that's something. That's not you. No, it's not, and that's what, I'm so disappointed in myself. <laughs> that is not you. Okay, um, we're not here to talk about the bad times, but I want to go through some maybe times playing with Carlton that weren't as good. Um, I know that there were some big days there that were tough. Like, geez, some of the the. I always knew like there were some days where we had our days off and we'd get those messages saying, boys, come into the club like ASAP. Is there any sort of days that not you when making light of now, but you look back and you go, geez, that was actually pretty full on? 
Yeah, I do remember those those messages and stuff. But um, oh, it was probably a couple of times when the coach was under pressure and and just before they end up getting the flick. But I still remember the feeling before Mick got sacked. Like those few weeks leading up to that was like I fucking hated footy. I hated going to the club. Like trying to find like I don't think people understand, but trying to find an entrance into the ground where a camera wasn't going to be shoved in your face after a shit loss on the weekend and um them trying to ask, oh, when's the coach going to get sacked or whatever, but trying to find a way into the club without a camera finding you and then a way out of the club without a camera getting put in your face every day for a couple of weeks, like, felt like you murdered someone mm. or something. Like, it's just, that's the really shit part of footy and the bit that I didn't enjoy. Um, so, yeah, that those couple of weeks before Mick got the flick was I was just hated footy and, and didn't want to be a part of um, – just didn't want to go to the club really. So, um, and then the similar thing happened with Bolt as well. A couple of weeks leading up, you so much pressure on trying to get a win on the weekend and then when it doesn't go how you want it to go and you just think, fuck me, here we go again. Um, turn up Monday morning, there's news cameras everywhere and you're just like, this is ridiculous. Like we're playing football here, not – and it just felt like they were headhunting – Head hunting the coaches and just and would not stop until there was a decision made on their future. Yeah, well, I, I don't know how many coaches you have been through, but like I remember when I remember the day Rats ended up. I remember the day Mick finished, and I wasn't there for Bolts, obviously. But through those times, like they are the most. They, they, you feel they, they are shit days. You feel so fucking bad because yeah. you, you actually do feel like it's your own fault, like your yeah. fault. Yeah, and yeah. it's it's shocking. Yeah, it, like, it, and if you're not playing well on the weekend or just the team's not playing well, you f- do feel a little bit responsible that the coach isn't out there trying to get a kick. So, um, yeah, you, and you, you respect these guys. You look up to them. They're your leader. Um, so, you like, you're devastated when they mm. – the, well, the way they're being treated in the media, for one, but then when they they lose their job, like, you just you feel for them. Um, and just, yeah, as you said, it makes you feel shit ass. It does. Um 18 years, how many opportunities would you have had to leave Carlton through your time? Um, probably not too many. Like I usually got, oh, apart from the last five or six years where they were one-year deals and done in October. <laughs> that's the, I feel you. That's the shit, the shit time when you, get to, when you get to 30 plus. It's, Mom on November. <laughs> <laughs> Couldn't find anyone else. So, yeah. yep, you can have a spot. Um, yeah, I think like – at the end of my second year, there was a, there was a real like I think I did sign in November, but there was a real point where they might not. I'd only played six six games, so I broke my hand half in my sixth game. Um, at the end of my second year, missed like the last two months of footy, um, but there was a real question mark if the club had give me another contract. It was sort of like oh, you've had two years, haven't shown much. Um, and I, I don't know whether this is true or not, but I, I got told that Hawthorne were potentially keen if um, Carlton weren't going to sign me the contract, but I was like, oh, if Carlton offers something, I obviously want to stay. Um, yeah, but other than that, after, after that year, I sort of established myself and signed a couple of three, three-year contracts. Um, and, yeah, they'd usually get done um, – mid-year so there was not too and it was probably before the free agency mm. and a lot of player movement was happening so yeah um 
yeah, whether or not it was just, I don't know, people probably didn't really come after me, whether they thought I'd never leave Carlton or, yeah, I didn't really have like too many suitors out there chasing me, I don't think. Um, but, yeah, a lot of it was probably towards uh, before free agency um, and then once you're over 30, 30 odd, there's not too many suitors out there for you. Yeah, right. That, it, must, it must have been before that because I find it so hard to believe now if you look at yourself, if your career was 10 years later, so you still had another eight years to go, you know, <laughs> um, there'd be, it'd, it'd be weird to think that another player will ever play 18 years for one club. Yeah. I'd, I'd, yeah. I can't really see it happening. Um, and, and it's probably, it's probably better. Like it's sad in a way, but it's beneficial for players long-term that they can, they get their, they get what they're worth in the marketplace. Mm. So Whereas if you sort of the way it was back then, it was sort of like you didn't have much power, and uh, the clubs and had all the power. Now, a lot of it's towards suppliers, and if someone's willing to pay you a lot of money, um, like you, you're only in the game a short period of time. So I don't, I don't hold any grudges against players that want to go and try and set themselves up um, financially or chase success, any of that stuff. I think it's um, it's all part of the game now, and and. Yeah, you end up with, uh, yeah, guys get get rewarded for their for their form. Definitely, I think if anyone knew the answer to this, they would be in a very high position. But looking at it now, do you think there's a specific reason why Carlton haven't been successful for a long period of time? Um, I, I do feel the Ratten decision was premature. The yeah. I feel like. We had a really good list in 2011. I think we finished fifth. Um, lost to the Eagles by four points over over in Perth. Um, and then we just had a shitload of injuries in 2012. Um, like we, I think we first three rounds of 2012 we smacked smacked Collingwood by ten goals. Someone else, well, I think we were almost flag favourites after round three. And then we then we played Essendon, and I still remember like Carazzo broke his shoulder, and we just had all these injuries to some really good players um, that just sort of compounded. And then our form wasn't up to scratch, but I still feel like we had a pretty good list there. That if we could get everyone fit, um, we would have still been in finals. And I feel like that decision to get rid of Rats was probably premature and. Just set off a, I don't know, a, I don't even know what the word is, but it just kept cascading and, um, yeah, and then yeah, I don't, I feel like I've probably been pretty unlucky that I go get drafted to the most successful club yeah. ever in the AFL, spend twenty years there, <laughs> no. and they don't win a flag. Yeah. But they've won sixteen over one hundred and fifty years, so that's yeah. one every ten years, yeah. and then didn't even get a look at one um mm. yeah i feel like i'm pretty stiff and unfortunately yeah i gotta live with that yeah it's but you've done incredible things else but i've got to agree i think with the whole rats decision um i wasn't young then but i remember just going geez we're really not that bad you know like the guys are actually going quite well um if you look at the team that they had on paper then too um you know like that was when juddy was obviously early in his career oh not in his career early in his carlton career things could have been different so who knows but um no, it's, it's, it's a definitely interesting point. I think a lot of Carlton fans would agree. Um, but look, you never know. Who knows in the past? Now it's it's too far gone. I want to talk about your aesthetic. Okay. Do you know what I mean? Yes. Okay. 
<laughs> your aesthetic on game day, your training kits, your I, I feel like you have like a healthy OCD. Would that be fair to say? Yeah. Like you would have to have your locker would be immaculate. You'd have your chewies in your in your locker, things hanging up. You'd crack it at me if my bag was one centimeter over the line. You'd wear specific kits for training. If it was cold, you'd wear a long sleeve with your beanie. If it was warm, you'd wear your short sleeve with your shorts. You'd have your socks done the exact uh, length every time. You'd have your white tape put under your socks. With your boots, you'd have about 13 inner soles in each shoe. <laughs> have I missed anything else? Um, no, that was most of the ones at the club, yeah. Um, then there, there's other things in life. Um, that I, I was hoping they'd finish once I retired, but um, I always have to have my radio on the like a certain volume. Um, which I, I think a lot of people do, but mine, if I, once I get out of the car, it's got to be left on six. But when I'm listening to music, it's always in like, either it's got to be a number that I like or it's got to be a multiple of five, so 10, 15, 20. And then numbers I like, uh, like 23, um, yeah, those sort of things. And those numbers, do they have, are they representative of someone like Michael Jordan or are they footy players that you've played with? Because there's guys that oh, I don't like that I've played with that I don't want to put their number on the radio. Yeah, yeah. similar. <laughs> you ever have it on so, seven? Uh, well, seven's so close to six. What about 43 when you're really pumping it? 43. I don't know if it ever gets that loud. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but, but every now and then I probably put it on 43 for Simon White. Yeah. <laughs> Very good. Very good. Um, what about the running out, running, out, running out last thing? What was that to do with? Was that just a superstition or um, when did that start? Yeah, I actually don't know. When even when I was younger, so Fev was always last, so I was second last. Mm-hmm. And then as soon as Fev left, I took the mantle of being last. Um, yeah, but I hated whenever I had to fill in as captain or milestone games. And I had to be at yeah. the front. So um, yeah, that sucked. <laughs> <laughs> but even now, like I've watched a couple of games, I just sort of just keep an eye on who's sort of. Well, did, who, there's someone that does it. Is it Samo? I think Samo. Samo, which I'm wrapped about. Because Samo tried. I remember watching it as just the fact that obviously when it finished, and I'd always see like the boys come out. You were there last. Then you'd be waiting for someone else, and like Samo was sort of trying to get last, <laughs> but you never let him. Um, I don't know if he was, but like it was, it was sort of. Every, I think everyone just knew, but it was like last in the meetings, last. Last out on the ground, last into the rooms, like at halftime or after the game as well. I'd be usually last um, heading down the race as well. So yeah, I don't, I don't even know where that one came from. But other things didn't didn't touch the banner um, either. So what if it accidentally flicked you on the way through? Yeah, it'd be a bad day. <laughs> 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 nah, it wasn't too much. Like I always, I had a thing like because I didn't want it to affect my footy. So yeah. I hadn't. I always had an out. Um, so you know how people sort of go, oh, touch wood. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I sort of had that, but I'd do it with my foot. Yeah. So I'd be oh, yeah, three yeah, times on, yeah. my, on my head. So I'd probably look religious at some stage. Yeah. No, <laughs> nah, but it was just – so that would be, if something went wrong in my prep, whether it was, yeah, the banner flicked me or whatever, you might have just seen me touch my head three times. Just and that to, it cancels it out. Yeah, it cancels yeah. it out. Yeah, no, I can definitely feel that, man. I, I honestly do the same thing. I think it's a lot com- more common than we think. So talking about the meticulous preparation, um, obviously you once you cross out white line, you're a new man. You are on. You are absolutely on. You're everyone's favourite teammate to play with. What's it like when you're in the warm-up and Nick Holman <laughs> boots the ball into your face in the warm-up? Uh, Do you remember this day? Oh, I've, I've never seen you angrier. Just to put into context here, we're, la- we're lining up, I think it was against Hawthorne or Adelaide. I can't remember who it was against, but... 
Yeah, I was probably concussed. And 100%. I had a shiner that whole game. I had like Sharon imprint on my eye. We don't laugh about this because it is obviously concussion and stuff now. Uh, It's always been, but concussion is obviously high profile. But this day, like Nick Holman, as you said, we're lane kicking from, you know, the junction to the um, goal square and you've kicked it to Holman. Holman's marked it. He's running to kick it back to the next person and he's just booted the ball straight into your face. You've dropped. I thought you were out cold. Yeah. You were still spraying him from then <laughs> till after the game. Um, oh, I was concussed. I don't remember. <laughs> um, footy's hard enough to <laughs> to play <laughs> and to perform and you try and do it when someone boots a footy two minutes before the game starts. The reason I bring this up is it actually happened even worse <laughs> to you in Fremantle. Yeah. Ed Kerno of all people. Oh, two blokes that just cannot even drop the ball on their just, boot properly. Just pick it up, Ed, for <laughs> fuck's sake. <laughs> Seriously. What did you I'm, say to him after that game? Fucking pick it up and handball it to me. Um no, nah, I was actually embarrassed by that one. Like, it, it flushed me so much and all I heard was the crowd just, oh. So I fucking got it. I made sure I got up straight away and fucking seeing stars. But I worked so hard to make sure I got a kick within the next 30 seconds. Straight back and, into and it. Ended up getting a mark out in the wing. I was just like, fuck, thank fuck I've got the ball here. But oh, my God. I felt like it hit me. I don't even know where it hit me, but, like, Later that week, I had like all this bruising come out of my nose. So lucky it didn't just pancake and just bust my nose all, right. all across my face. Um, mate, to, to finish up the footy part, I want to know favourite teammate you've played with, favourite coach, and your favourite opposition player. So favourite teammate, favourite coach, favourite oppo player that you played on or against or battled with. Favourite teammate, so present company excluded, obviously. Present company excluded, obviously, yes. <laughs> yes, obviously. Uh, favourite teammate. Um, oh, there's guys that I've played so much footy with, like um, Gibbsy, Murph, those sort of guys. Eddie, Be- love playing with Eddie um, before he left. Uh, just all those guys that, like, they become your best mates off, off field as well, so... I was drafted with Brad Fisher, so obviously really close with him. Um, yeah, then played over a decade with guys like Murph, Gibbsy, Walks. Um, yeah, so those sort of guys are probably um, right up there and and guys that you're still – now I'm probably starting to catch up with again more now that footy's sort of finished. You sort of get – once you when you're on a footy schedule and your teammates are, have left the club, it's, it's hard to catch up. Mm. They, they never align, but now that I'm away from that – I'm um, starting to catch up with those sort of guys now again and, and probably Jordan Russell's another one from that group. Favourite coach, like, I don't know, I feel like I've always I've always got on well with each coach and um, it's almost, I reckon that actually, I was thinking about this the other day that with so many new coaches coming in, like I always felt like I had to prove myself again. So it probably helped with my longevity and, and my form and like I've, I felt like when Mick came in, I'm like, fuck it, Prove myself again. Um, and Bolts came in. I was like, geez, I've got to make sure I run a PB day one, make sure I impress the coach and all this sort of stuff. Um, yeah, I don't, I don't know. I've got a favourite coach. Um, whew, do I have to say one? No, you don't have to say one. It's more even just maybe if, you know, we'll, we'll get into coaching later, but what one have you maybe learnt the most from in terms of, of what you would be or what you would be yeah. not be? Yeah. Um, Oh, I reckon I take a little bit away from all of them. Like I remember, even Dennis, my first coach, like 
playing and not just so even playing when you're like sore or injured like not just going out there and like making an excuse for yourself like still try and actually perform um while injured or sore was a, a big thing i took away from dennis like he was pretty old school and there was no like he shirk a contest you'd know about it from him um so that's probably one thing i took away from him um most re- like recently like bolts his work ethic like he second to none easily worked the hardest out of any coach I had like it was I don't know I don't know if he even slept like it was unbelievable the amount of hours and stuff he he put in um he was so driven to do well as a senior coach so um yeah it's sad that he didn't um it didn't go his way the bolts thing and you know you you would know a lot more about this than me but the bolts thing still doesn't sit well with me because I know he loved that club so much. Yeah. Like he, he, all we wanted to do was be successful, and I feel like the success that is coming. Obviously, Teague's awesome. He's going to do a lot of things, but a lot of those fundamentals will come from Bolts. Yeah, like I, I've never, and and I'm saying this is coming from someone that did, played three games under him. You know, I realistically ended my Carlton career under him, but I've learned things from him that I've taken into my life post football, like mindset. You know. Um, like you said before, not making excuses, meticulous. Like he was just so relentless on the littlest things, which yeah. in one way was his biggest asset, but in another way it was nearly his undoing because so many guys just couldn't keep up with it. Yeah. Yeah, it was um, a phenomenal, like his work ethic, yes, as I said, second to none. But, um, yeah, I took a lot away from him and I was probably a little bit old school still when he got there where it was um, – and he probably taught me, yeah, just to more chill out, um, control the controllables, that sort of thing. So I don't get frustrated with things that I couldn't control. So my whole probably demeanor and um, the way I looked at mistakes and stuff out on the field probably probably changed a lot. And um, I probably relaxed a little bit. As I, as I got older, I probably saw the game a lot differently and, and um, still had that competitive Thing about me but it wasn't the be all and end all um like i wanted to enjoy football not just see it as a, a job and um because yeah it can get pretty consuming um so yeah i sort of realized later later in my career i wish i'd sort of done it earlier but yeah that footy wasn't the be all and end all 2020 comes uh 18 seasons down 342 games of afl footy and then retirement how'd that all come about how does that sit with you now? Um, what was what was the the end of the career like? And and yeah, talk us through what you know sort of transpired at the end of twenty twenty. Um, yeah, I probably still it doesn't like. I still wish I was playing like a hundred percent. Do you still reckon you you could play this year? Yeah, I think you definitely could. Yeah, that's and that's where it's funny. Like even now. Like for some stupid reason, I like I still run and flog myself, and and I in the back of my head, I'm like, I oh, just imagine if someone now when you've got like mid season drafts and all that sort of stuff, like I'm I'm pretty fit still. That if someone did just come knocking, I, wow. I would actually I'm ready. I wouldn't be like, oh fuck, I haven't done a thing in six months. And that's just a stupid thing in my head that I'm. I'm still fit, like I still think, and it, it got worse as like round one happened. I was like, "Fuck!" and I like went for this fucking massive run. <laughs> uh, That's incredible, man. And then round two again, like just I've I've hated watching the boys play. Um, so 
Yeah, I don't know. Like, and even the way the game's played as well this year is a lot different to last year, which again would probably suit. Feel like it would suit me as well. So, um, yeah, I haven't. I've, I'm dealing with retirement, but I haven't dealt with it as well. Um, so it's just a process that I'm going through, and yeah, I'm sure everyone's got. And I, it's funny, like everyone's like, "Oh, it's good to retire with a little bit left in the tank," and I'm just like, "What? That fucking makes no sense to me." Like, yeah. I'll fucking run. I want to run that thing dry. Yeah, it's like dying with money in the bank. Like, if you've got money, like you're gonna spend it, aren't you? You're not. That's gonna- incredible, man. I think you've a lot of Carlton supporters are gonna be very rattled, <laughs> and they're gonna be very upset right now. So, in, in all seriousness, though, like if you if you a team was keen to come and play mid-season, you'd, you'd actually consider it? Um, yeah, I think I'd consider it. Um, I feel like I'd want – like I wouldn't play just for the sake of playing. Like it yeah. need to be – Specific role would be like someone uh, – no, I think just a team that's going to be challenging, Yeah, looking like they're going to play finals. Um, I'd Yeah, as, as like I'll always be a Carlton person, whether I came out of retirement, whether I coach somewhere else, it doesn't matter. I'll always be Carlton, but I still – have that I still want, feel like I've got something left I still want I still have the desire to compete and all that sort of thing um, and that hasn't gone away um, which I don't know like I thought it might I thought once it sort of settled in that footy was going to be no longer it'd be a few months and then it would um, just, uh, just sort of disintegrate um, but it's still there uh, so yeah I don't know it's just sort of yeah I'm Training, I'm, I'm, I'm ready, but <laughs> Jesus. but I'm also like fuck. I know, yeah. I get like I go through stages, like I'm smash myself, go for this massive run, and then I'm just like fucking snap out of it. You're fucking has been, you're done. Um, so yeah, and I was like sort of fighting with the fact: do I play VFL this year just to see? And like I don't know, it's just mate. If you go play yeah. VFL, I'll come. <laughs> I'll come play, and I'll play on your man again as I did for, for six years. See, mate, I'm you I'm that I'm that aroused hearing that you are still keen to play football. It's not funny. I I genuinely not just saying, but you, I know you from a you know a, a long stint um, together, and fuck to hear that. It's it's exciting. If any. A lot of teams listen to this show. So this is the biggest sports podcast in Australia. Imagine, so there's going to be people imagine listening. Imagine if you got me drafted again. What a story. Jesus Christ. I, I don't even know what to say. No, it, it honestly is exciting, mate. But but with that then as well, like how oh, – this is such an obvious question because I know it's going to be hard to even say, but how hard was it then to, to have to – to agree to have to hang up the boots when you probably didn't really want to? Yeah, well, it was um, – oh, I'm pretty self-aware and, and – Probably going into the season, it was more of a chance that it was going to be my last one mm. um, than going on. But yeah, I felt like the form was, it was like the form was never going to be career best. I'm 36, 36 years old, so but I still felt I could play a role um, and still play a, a pivotal role. Um, but after a couple of conversations with T and staff, he was sort of talking and they had list management meetings. So T was great. He it was about maybe four or five weeks left in the season. We sat down. And he just sort of wanted to see where I was at. And I said, look, I'm pretty keen to go on, but I, I, I understand football and I understand footy clubs. So um, just – and he said, well, look, we've got a list management meeting coming up, so we'll we'll discuss and then I'll let you know as soon as we make a decision. Um, so it was probably a, a few weeks to go, maybe two or three left in the season where, um, yeah, they the team had come to a decision. Um, and I sort of – I held off, I think, to the last week to – 
to um, announce it. I think it was sort of, I was going to do it earlier. Then then Cruz came out and I was like, oh, fuck, I don't want <laughs> to let Cruz enjoy this, like his week. Um, and then sort of it just got pushed back to the final round. And I would have been happy just to do it after the game. Mm. And the club were pretty keen to, to get something out there. So, um, yeah, it was, it was pretty hard. Like, um, but yeah, as I said earlier, like it, I understand footy and I'm, I'm a big boy. So, um, there's got was plenty of depth in the back line and there's uh, they, if they knew they were getting Sard and Williams, I would have given me the ass too. So yeah, <laughs> yeah, I don't know. I, I it's hard to say because obviously there's we're both connected to the club and got friends and stuff there. But I think that I definitely think you could add at least one more season where the boys are going on a rebuild. I think we're going to be lying if we think that the Carlton were going to win a flag this year. And I, that's just my opinion. I don't know anything about anything because that's shown through. I've done but um, I think that knowing you and, and and what role you would have taken even if it was something like a playing slash coaching role um, and maybe you you know that you're going to be playing some VFL games or something like that would would have been good but again I don't work at the club um, if you haven't if you didn't know that I, I'm not I wasn't on the match committee or list management um, unfortunately but it's exciting mate because uh, as you said fuck if you fire still in the belly I'm backing you in because I honestly and I'm not just saying this now, and you know this, but the amount of love and respect I have for you, the way you go about, and how tr- how trusted, respected, loved you are by all your teammates, um, I don't think anyone would be backing you out because you've never really proved anyone wrong. No, that's what I'm saying. You've never proved the haters right <laughs> in the past. Not that there've been any, but you've. What I'm trying to say is, just fucking do it. I'm excited <laughs> for it. If it's not to be playing. You're in coaching now at the moment, so that's something that is also a passion. Yeah, is there still fire in the belly to to be doing coaching full time? I think it's it's a lot different now with COVID and these coaching cuts. You've probably seen like last year, you probably a walk up assistant coach start, but now with what's going on, you probably have to take a longer route into that. Yeah, and um, that's why I was sort of I was I'm happy with what I've, so I've obviously done. Um, AFLW with the Carlton girls. So you forward line coach there. Forward line coach there. Yeah. Uh, did you have to learn anything about well, that? Well, just saying. Like I think record score kicked uh, round eight. Maybe that's in the AFLW. Yeah. Ever. Like not saying that I was the influence of that, but it's good ball movement. <laughs> it's good ball movement. Um, what were you, do, were you doing? Darcy, the washing machine there, or Darcy Vessio won the goal kicking. Not like oh, I'm just a forward coach. I'm not saying that I yeah, that's seem to okay. do that. Okay, but. yeah, that's good on the resume. <laughs> Very good on the resume. Um, no, I feel like doing sort of that because it is it's part time, obviously. So still working and then do that after hours. But I feel like when I took the role there, it was the AFL landscape was still very uncertain and I didn't want to take a – not that there was a role out there, but I did, wouldn't want to do a full-time assistant and then like almost be last one in, first one out if COVID spiked up again yep. this year. So it was about trying to set myself up off field, um, dip the toes in the water with coaching. So doing just finished the girls' season um, and now going to do some stuff with Carlton Reserves as well, uh, backline coach now. Um, but I feel like that – yeah, it was good just to dip the toes in the water just to see if it was something that I enjoyed and, and wanted to do furthermore. And so I have really loved it. Even I work eight, nine hours um, and then get to the club at sort of five, five o'clock. It's sort of like I'm wrapped to get there. Mm. And don't get home till sort of nine thirty, ten o'clock, but like I love the time there. So I'm thinking if I'm loving it 
there I'd, that's something I would like to do again um, and probably do on a full-time sort of basis so I think yeah coaching if yeah if it's not playing it definitely coaching like I've 18 years in football like it's sort of straight out of high school it's sort of all you know and then you sort of when you're doing that you, you're looking like fuck what am I going to do what am I going to do after football when maybe football is, is the answer is the answer yeah. um, which is that took me a long time to come to that I was sort of looking for fuck what am I going to do what am I going to do I'm trying all these different things and I was like maybe maybe footy's it and, you got an 18 year degree <laughs> you're probably pretty qualified so yeah so the last probably five or six years of my career it was a lot around um, coaching and all those sort of little um, little courses, the PA runs and stuff, just to try and further educate myself and, and make sure I had all those sort of things ticked off. Um, yeah, if coaching was the path to go down. What sort of coach are you? I think I can answer this myself. You know, being played with you, you you, you know the game better than anyone that I've played with. What would be your style of coaching? Um, yeah, well, as I said, like the back end of my career, I really changed my whole perspective, and, and I think with the players coming through these days, everything's about relationships and, and um, yeah, I, I feel like that's the main how to get the best out of players is having strong relationships probably away from football and that's probably my style as well. Um, I did a little bit of sort of welfare stuff at the back end of my career as well and um, I feel like that's how I'd coach sort of trying to get the best out of players. So it's not that you don't give them the little clip when they need one. Mm. It's more just trying to – a lot of it's positive reinforcement yeah. and encouragement and, like, no one is out there trying to fucking make a mistake. Like, yeah. And most players know when they fucking made one. So right. why do you need to tell them again? Definitely. So, yeah, it's about just trying to pick them back up after those mistakes so they can be better in that next uh, stage of play. Yeah. Yeah, no, I totally – we spoke to Caleb Daniel last week and, and Sam Doherty are two people that I think were very much like yourself. You you, you nearly don't need coaches. You, I think in a way you were someone and it took you a while to probably realise that you were different to everyone else that actually needed coaching. I feel like you just sort of did your own thing because you knew what you are good at and you didn't really need a coach to tell you that you stuffed up. You knew that. You, you knew what you were doing. Um, whereas... I still think there is a space in a game as much as it's about relationships. I still think there is space though about hitting blokes between the eyes because I feel like these days you can be best mates. So so many coaches are the best mate here, best mate there, but unless you're actually giving strong feedback, personally, I don't think you can get better because some of the worst times I've had worst sprays, and this is why I respect Bolt so much, like he told me some home truths that really I didn't agree with, but he followed them up. And we had a meeting about him the next day and then we followed up a week later. And it's about that follow-up, the follow-up, whereas a lot of coaches will spray blokes and then never bring it up again. And that was the most annoying thing for me was like, you're spraying me, you're telling me I'm shit at this, but then like you'd never speak to me about it again. Yeah, and you sort of you don't know where you stand. Yeah. Um, and that's almost the unknown is the bit you dread. Like I remember if you were in a form slump or whatever, the worst thing, like you're just dreading like running into the coach or mm. having to go do your review or whatever. And then you'd go and do it and the relief- so much better. And you'd walk out yeah. and it's like, oh my God, that wasn't even that bad. Like what was I stressing about? One thing I realised, and I realised this like in my last month of footy, and I wish I realised this a lot longer ago, but it was what the anxiety you have towards a coach is at 100%. Right, it's, it's quite high. You're always just, no matter how comfortable you are, you're always feeling anxious about that relationship. Divide that by 44, and that's what he's got to worry about. Mm. 
So what you're thinking about him is what like a 44th of what he's actually thinking about you. So like, I wish I just didn't overstress that relationship as much because he was probably never worrying about me. He's probably got bigger <laughs> things that he's worrying about than like our conversation. Yeah, that's a really good point. Like, yeah, you you stress about things, whereas if you just meet them head on or just have a chat. Yeah, go, go. just just walk in and they <laughs> actually like. Chat. It, I just wish that that my last like three months, I just used to just go and speak to Leon and Bolt, and we'd have the best chats. And it was probably because I knew I was finishing, but it was always just like, oh fuck, I wish I did this a bit earlier. Yeah, it's so true. Like you go in. I remember like even like my first coach, so Dennis Pagan, was pretty daunting sort of human being. Um, and he had these, in the old grandstand cart in this dungeon of an office that was just off through. You, you couldn't get past his office <laughs> without getting to your locker. So you had to go down this hallway and it's just, the door was always open. He just oh. – so and I just remember like I forced myself to go in there because I wasn't getting a game or was playing shit house or whatever. Um and once I went in there, like I actually didn't even say anything. They like, talk they the do, whole time. They do all the talking. They and talk. You, and you actually get so many answers without actually saying a word, but you get, leave knowing where you're standing. There's no uncertainty and you feel so much better for it. Mick was the best for that. He's like, oh, I've been waiting for you. And you just sit in and go, tell you everything. You go, all right, thanks, mate. See you. <laughs> just walk straight out. Um, it's true. So to any coach out there, if, if Simo is playing with you next, this year or coaching, just go have a chat with him and he'll let you know. Um, Sim, what's next for, for you, my friend? I think we've touched on it again, but ideal world. Yeah, I'd, I'd like to yeah stay in football, but yeah, full time basis would be ideal. At the moment, I'm working as a bit of a horticulturalist with a guy, but also doing a little bit of my own stuff as well. So Sims mowing. <laughs> Sim. This this has honestly been a business plan for the last seventeen years. I reckon. Yeah, I'm not sure if um I might get a letter from a lawyer soon, but um. Yeah, whether it's just so clear, that's not the actual name. Okay, yeah, just in case, it's not the case. Um, But yeah, it would be a bloody good name. It would be. Um, So, I'll maybe just get some shirts made up, but we won't actually trademark it or have the business as that. But um, yeah, so doing a bit of gardening and garden maintenance and all that sort of stuff. You've Um, always loved your your landscaping though, since forever. Like you've had a beautiful garden. You had your jacaranda in your front yard, which I love jacarandas, (laughs) Jackie boys. Beautiful tree. Yep. Um, Yeah, I I think like growing up, mum and dad were always massive into the garden and I've fucking hated it like because it was a chore so mm. dad would have me mowing the lawns or we lived out in emerald where it was quite bushy so like before fire seasons and stuff had to like pick up sticks and rake leaves which just sucked um but then i don't know it just sort of it must have rubbed off on me that and i think when you get your own place as well like and you've got yeah, your, own, you your own lawn and your own trees and all that sort of stuff like there's not much better coming home to a it's, it's, freshly mowed Yeah, lawn it is a there. very, very pleasing feeling of yeah. of mowing your lawn, watering. And that's, you know, when I moved to Sydney, I didn't have that and I really missed it because yeah. it's something that we would always always speak about. But um, no, it's it's a, it's a massive one. Matty Rao is actually a very big gardener. I actually I, saw him this morning. He is working at the moment in Gold Coast as a groundskeeper yeah. uh, for a golf course. I did know he was a gardener. So... I said before that I did a little bit of welfare stuff. So I sat in on quite a few of like the meetings with young hopeful draftees yep. um, and Rowley was one of them. Um, and, yeah, he said that he was a keen gardener and I, my, my ears pricked up yeah. and my eyes were – I had Matty Rowell eyes where I was <laughs> – So you loved him first. Yeah, and I was like, oh. Going to be a good player this play. <laughs> and come have number six at the board. Yeah. Um, are you happy with Zach Williams in the six? 
Yeah, so Zach um, texted me uh, before, like it was all announced. So I really appreciated that. But um, yeah, no, I'm yeah, I'm pretty keen to sort of see it out there, and he's a he's a fair player to be wearing it. So um, it'll be as quick as the six has moved in a in a short while. So um, yeah, so. I don't know. Does he wear? Yeah, I've seen him in long sleeves. I feel. Uh no, nah, he doesn't really wear the long sleeves as much he anymore. Would have worn like he a might long now. Sleeves at the. So yeah, it'd be interesting if I see a long sleeve. Yeah, that'd be. Samo's really rocking the long sleeve yeah, these days. Feel the bats. Plow and Samo um, do it regularly, but there's not much better than the the navy long sleeve. No. I think in football. I used to love that one. Cade, mate, I honestly uh, cannot thank you enough for coming in today, my friend. It's been unbelievable. Um, as I said, mate, love you. Um, thank you for everything you've done for me throughout your career and our friendship. Because honestly, you've taught me taught me a lot about a lot about uh, work ethic, professionalism, and uh, I'm just blessed to call you a friend. And, and thank you for coming on and having a chat. Thanks for having me, Bucker. If that wasn't enough for you and you want even more, you're in luck. Dylan Friends is now on Patreon. Dylan Best Friends. An exclusive loyalty subscription featuring the debrief podcast of each episode and bonus Q&As from Patreon members like this. Do you have like a motto or quote that you like to sort of live by that's your main one? Uh, the one that I, I really <laughs> really liked. Um, so look good, feel good, play good. If you play good, they pay good. The, I don't know if you've heard the white tape above the socks. Yes. And that was because of Andrew McLeod. My old man did the stats for the Crows when they came to Melbourne before everyone travelled and stuff like that. So... Um, so I went to heaps of Adelaide games growing up and then oh, I was a mad Andrew McLeod fan and he had always had an extra, he wore two pairs of socks and a white sock would show above his Adelaide socks. And you like, did it. I was like, that is swag. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and there's plenty more where that came from. If you'd like to learn more, you can head to patreon.com forward slash Dylan Friends or you can head to the link in the show notes. Thanks for listening to the Dylan Friends podcast. If you liked the show, it'd be a massive help if you could like, follow, rate, leave a review, or even share with your friends. The show is produced by myself and Sam Bonza. Damon Jackman from Creative Edge Films is responsible for audio and visual production. The show is recorded at the Dylan Friends studio in Melbourne, Australia. If you'd like to get in touch or suggest a guest or advertise with the Dylan Friends podcast, please email us at inquiries at dylanfriends.com. Thanks so much for tuning in. KO's got you covered this footy season with every game of every round live and ad break free during play. Wow, in the AFL this week, there are some huge games. Collingwood versus Adelaide live with no ad breaks during play, exclusive in Victoria. Giants versus Bulldogs. Oh, I remember that game. I think it was 2016 at Giants Stadium to get the Bulldogs into the grand final. I will never forget that one. Live with no ad breaks free during play, exclusive in Victoria. And Essendon versus North Melbourne. Geez, that's the old Ben McKay Cup. Exclusive to Fox Footy, available on KO. Don't forget those NBA playoffs. They are dominating at the moment. It is just getting bigger and better than ever. Watch every game of both Eastern and Western Conferences finals live with ESPN on KO. There's plenty of room for everyone, no matter what you want to watch. So get on board with KO, now also available on Hubble.